Hey everyone, welcome to the George Sanders Show. Um, this is a. I'm excited about this episode. Uh, I, I believe, I don't know, maybe a couple couple episodes back or, or further than that. Sean, you and I were talking about how we've kind of covered the gamut. We've we've talked about a lot of different kinds of movies. Um, I mean, you know, you can list them all off, and you know, this is episode 49, so we've done a lot of different kinds of genres and stuff. But we did acknowledge that uh, Bollywood stuff uh, has been neglected, not only on the show, but in our personal viewing um, experiences. Um, and so I'm glad that this is the episode where we're going to rectify that. We're going to talk about two of the uh, most popular and famous uh, Bollywood films, both which are new to us, uh, Awara from 1951 and Sholay um, from 1975. Uh, it's going to be pretty exciting. Um, it was a lot of watching, though, wasn't it? Yeah, these were these were some long movies. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was about six, a little over six hours of, of film for, between the two films. So, yeah, um, and, and on Thanksgiving week too. So I know. Well, and then on Thanksgiving Day, I did a double feature. So I I, I did a war on Wednesday. A double feature, which included Ben Hur. I don't know why Jesus. I subject myself to this pain. Well, uh, why would you subject yourself to Ben Hur? You know, I like uh, Ben Hur. Was uh, it was okay? Um, I, I, I rewatched it a couple of years ago. That movie is is not good. Uh, you know, it's funny. Is right before we started recording, we were talking about how we've never really argued against a movie where you disliked it. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm not going to take the side and say it's a masterpiece. I totally will not say that about Ben Hur. It was you know a blind spot. I like William Wyler. I was like, I'm going to give it a go. You know. Um, I re there are things I really like about it. there are two the two action sequences the big action sequences the chariot race and um, earlier the the fight on the ship and stuff are really really cool. Um, yeah, it does I'm, fall I'm apart, pretty though. sure Weiler didn't direct those. I, I I don't care who directed them. I'm just saying <laughs> that those scenes are really awesome. Yeah. Um, he did edit. Uh, he yeah he had his second unit direct or uh, shoot the. Uh, chariot race. Yeah, it was Yakima Kanut, wasn't it? Yeah, but uh, but he did edit it. From okay, what I, from what I read. Um, so yeah, I mean, I give it. You know, it's I give it a you know a passing grade on it. You know, uh, I really did not care for the last like half hour of it. It was really it soured me on it. But there's good stuff in it. You know, I don't think it's horrible. It's pretty anyway. Horrible. What are we talking about? We're talking about Bollywood, Sean. Yeah. <laughs> um, so. Two movies, two films. movies that are much better than Ben Hur. Uh, I will agree. Both of these these films are better than that. Um, a much much better use of six hours of your time than watching Ben Hur. <laughs> yes, um, and we're also going to talk about what else are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about um, Busby Berkeley because uh, it's his birthday, um, and these have these both these movies have musical sequences in them uh they're integral to the bollywood kind of aesthetic um so we'll talk about busby berkeley um mike nichols passed away we'll talk about that we're gonna talk about star wars because we just can't not talk about star wars <laughs> um, and uh, pick, we're gonna pick our cinema central buddy movies or buddies buddies uh, and we're gonna pick uh what else are we doing uh we're, <laughs> we're gonna listen to covers of simon and garfunkel songs Yes, tying it with the Nichols thing. Um, and also, so yeah. yeah, Bollywood. Bollywood. Um, I'm sure that Art Garfunkel loves Bollywood. 
<laughs> totally. He's a connoisseur. Uh, well, let's try and not make the episode three hours long. So let's uh, let's hear a clip um, of some of the music from uh, 1951's Awara. Okay, that was one of the the several great songs from the 1951 Bollywood film Awara, directed by and starring Raj Kapoor. Uh, He plays a tramp, which is what Awara means apparently, uh, who is on trial as the film begins for attacking a judge. Uh, He's uh, about to plead guilty to attacking when, uh, uh, when a woman marches into the courtroom played by Nargis, and uh, agrees to act as his defense attorney. And as she questions the judge, we get a, a very long flashback that makes up the bulk of the film, which explains how Raj came to attack the judge and how uh, the attorney is related to it all. It turns out that the judge is, is Raj's father and that Rita is the long-lost love of his life. And in between... All of the uh, the very sordid details of Raj's life and and the very romantic uh, bits of his uh, life with Rita, we get lots and lots of songs and an amazing dream sequence. How's that? That was great. That was very succinct. I yeah. little behind the curtain here. Uh, I just kept rambling. I tried to introduce this one, and I just kept rambling. As then finally, Sean just said, "Okay, <laughs> screw this. I'm taking over." Um, that was great, Sean. 
You're a pro- true professional. Uh, yeah, that's 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 it. That's the you know jumping off point for the movie. And you know the, I don't want to say the plot is simple, but uh, yeah, it it that's basically it. Um, yeah, I mean it's 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 not simple, but it is it is familiar. Yeah, it's it's straightforward. I think is a good way of saying it. Um, I mean, there are all these kind of like um, melodramatic, you know. The relationships, you know, the fact that they're all, they've all got these personal relationships with each other, you know, is is this kind of heightened melodramatic kind of thing or whatever, but it, um, right. but it's, it's very al- engaging. It's also melodramatic in, in the kind of way that, it, that it's one of those plots it, where if everyone had just sit, sat down and had like an honest conversation for like 15 minutes, all of the problems would get resolved. But you don't really care because you're, you're caught up in like the emotion of, of the drama rather than the complication of the plot. Right. Although I think if they sat down, I think some of the characters uh, still wouldn't budge. And I think that's part of the the drama here is, you know, um, the the judge doesn't budge. (laughs) Right. And that's that's the that's the ultimate, you know. Yeah, it takes as as kind of the the jumping off point uh, is like a variation on the story from the the Ramayana, which uh, is the great uh, Hindi epic. That uh, that we know from the movie Sita Sings the Blues, because we're American and we That's don't know anything about nice. about <laughs> Indian literature. Uh, <laughs> but but in in that story, as as in this one, uh, uh, a man's wife is kidnapped by a bandit, and eventually is returned to him. And uh, the the bandit has a reputation as a rapist. And when the wife is is returned, she insists that she was not raped, but the husband begins to suspect she was anyway, and eventually cannot stand the shame of having a wife who had been the victim of rape, and so sends her out of the house. Especially as we learn when when this wife is is pregnant, and the husband is convinced that he is not the father of the child, it is in fact the bandit. Jaga. And uh, this is... Uh, in in Awara, this is is combined with this uh, political theory that the judge has that uh, criminality is genetic, that the children of bandits will become bandits, and that the children of good people will become good people, and uh, people can never change that their that their uh, that their role in society is determined by what their parents are like, which is a very kind of hard line. Uh, you know, no social mobility point of view, right. and and it is that that belief which initially antagonized the bandit to him because the bandit had been trying to be a good person even though his father and grandfather were criminals, and the judge, uh, even though he was innocent of a crime which he was charged for because of his background, the judge sentenced him to you know some time in prison and that made him a criminal and want to get his revenge on the judge. So all that's a, a very complicated way of saying that they've, that they've taken this, this idea of, uh, of, uh, of patriarchy and, and, uh, uh, the sins of the father are, you know, brought down upon the children and, and, and it leads to generations of, uh, strife and, uh, horribleness. And, yeah. Uh, well, it's 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 this this indictment of uh, a certain kind of 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 patriarchal point of view that doesn't oh, sure. al- that doesn't allow for social mobility and also doesn't allow for 
any consideration at all of of women as actual humans. Yes. And <laughs> and so this this judge is just a a, a monstrous figure. Oh, he's terrible. I mean, he, yeah, absolutely. Um, coin- and played by not coincidentally, it was it was planned, but uh, played by <laughs> Raj Kapoor's uh, actual father, from what I from what I read, which I thought was pretty pretty interesting to yeah, uh, and, cast your dad in that role. <laughs> yeah, and and his his brother plays the the younger version of version him. of himself. That's right. Yeah, yeah, it's very uh, much a, a a family production. As is as Cholet is too, from what I gather. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah. So, um, yeah, it's really messed up. Yeah. I mean, it's really, uh, you know, and and the movie doesn't skimp on on teasing that out. You know, when uh, Raj's mom is, uh, you know, literally lying in the gutter in like a rainstorm giving birth to him, you know, like yeah. weeping, you know, you're like, man, this is not pulling any punches here, you know? No. Um, and I like that though. I like how heightened it all is. I like how melodramatic it is. Um, I, I like the, the thought of, um, the villain, um, you know, exacting this like decade long revenge where he's gonna, um, not only he's going to, you know, kind of create this rumor that, you know, he raped uh, the judge's wife. Um, but then he's also going to, once the kid is born, take the kid under his wing and like, you know, teach him a life of crime. All playing the long game here just to, you know, just to ruin this judge's, you know, um, right. wor- his, world. His plan at some point is to reveal to the judge that, that Raj is actually his son. Right. Uh, and in order to do that, he has to he has to turn Raj into a criminal. So every chance he gets, he prevents him from breaking out of this kind of criminal lifestyle. Like at one point, he 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 vows to 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 be a good person and get a real job. And and you know, it's it's implied that that Jaga uh, leaks the he leaks the information that he's a criminal so that he will get fired. So right. that he will have no choice in society but to be a crook right what's so great is raj kapoor his performance here he's such a lovable crook you know i mean <laughs> like i mean intentionally so um yeah he's his, he, his does, he doesn't play him as like a you know a hardened criminal it's 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 very much inspired by like charlie chaplin's little turn oh, yeah i mean it's blatant yeah he, uh, he's like he's of... like a carefree pickpocket type of criminal as opposed to like a you know a murderer or something right um and he's just adorable and uh <laughs> you know I, I think one of my favorite s- scenes in the entire movie is um he they're gonna plot he and his like you know group of bad guys um, are gonna are gonna uh, rob a bank or something, and they they need a getaway car, and so he's gonna steal a car, and he um, to do that he needs some keys, and so he runs into uh, a grown up Rita who was as you said uh, the the woman that got away that when he was a kid they you know he loved her, and then she went to a different school, and he got kicked out of school, which led to more problems, and um, all all also because of of Jaga and because of the judge. Right. Yeah. It, you know, parents are the worst. Uh, you know, the previous generation, they're just terrible. Um, but anyway, so he steals her purse. Um, and 
And then there's this adorable scene where he um, he to, pretends to, to chase after the guy he who stole to chase her chase after the person that stole it. Yeah, um, and he climbs over a wall and he's 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 fighting himself. You know, she's hearing the sounds of him, you know, getting punched, but it's him punching himself in the face and tearing his own shirt and stuff. Um, And she tries to get a look over the wall and she slips and falls and doesn't, you know. Um, And that, you know, that is such a Chaplin-esque kind of scene um, that... And and it's really hard to to pull off Chaplin-esque stuff if you're not Charlie Chaplin. (laughs) It's usually really annoying if someone tries to do something like that. Um... But Raj Kapoor has a really great presence and he's, you know, he's got a winning smile and he's charming and you can totally see these two characters, you know, um, being totally connected to one another. You know, him and Rita, um, played by Nargis, who uh, is equally, if not more so, uh, amazing (laughs) in this movie. Yeah, uh, Nargis is amazing. (laughs) She's. I thought. I thought of. Uh, to give you an idea of how amazing Nargis is, I thought of of two actresses. The two actresses that she reminded me of most, uh, and they are uh, Satsuka Hara and Ingrid Bergman. And I think she is in that class. Yeah, she's she's great. Um, she's got such a cinematic face. There's you know this scene. Um, well, which is what we played the music from, where um, they're on uh, a boat, the two of them, um, yeah, under the moonlight or whatever. And um, I mean, it's it's one, of, it's just a astounding uh, image of just her, you know, her face just like caught up in the moment, and uh, it's it, she, beautifully framed, and just it's it's wonderful. She she she, I, I was gonna say she really sells this relationship and. From what I gather, uh, that's because, you know, these these two were kind of, you know, getting freaky, uh, you know, off the camera, too. So, you know, they had like the the, uh, the spark. OK, OK. Hang on. Nargus does not get freaky. <laughs> you don't know her like I do, my friend. Uh, they, there was a relationship there between Raj Kapoor and Nargis. That, sure. Um, which I didn't know watching the movie. You know, I, I, I read up a little bit afterwards, um, but. It's so like it, it was obvious to me still like there was like sparks flying you know yeah. um, uh, which is great I mean apparently they they did a few more movies together too that he directed and and started in with with her in it and um, I'm really looking forward to to them just to see those two interacting again because um, it is a really great screen couple yeah she's she's just an amazing presence she's just it's it's a like 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 Bergman and and Hara, she's it's she seems so uh, uh, earthy and naturalistic, while at the same time being this like movie you know iconic kind of movie presence. It's it's a really really rare kind of of uh, aura for a, an actor's or an actor to to have to to combine just kind of glorious moviness with a grounded down to earthiness. Right. A little reality to it. Yeah. Um, and she's great, you know, 
like just from the moment she she marches on screen that's what i was about to say yeah come, come, she comes in late to the trial just like at the last second and she's it's her first case and she's going to defend them and and the whole courtroom is just filled with men all of these men all all the attorneys the judges the jury the witnesses everyone is men and then nargus just strides in 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 the 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 robes and the she she's wearing a wig isn't she she wearing a wig i don't think she's wearing a wig yeah but, anyway, um, yeah, yeah, but it was, she has, and she has this great. I think it's the first thing she. Well, she besides like yelling, like I'm, I'm gonna be, you know, defending him. Um, she has that great aside with uh, the judge where he's, you know, on the on the witness stand or whatever, um, and she she kind of says to him, "Hey, you took me under your wing. Uh, I respect you for everything that you've given me. Blah 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 blah." But I'm about to tear you apart. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and that that is like that is some awesomeness right there like she you know she's she's understanding she's appreciative uh but she's like getting down to business and it's totally awesome yeah she runs that kind of her job and and it's so the the difference in the generations between between rita and raj and the judges generation is 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 so encapsulated by her character because the, you know, the judges of the generation that his wife got raped, he thinks. So he kicked her out of the house and would have nothing to do with her. And that's the kind of patriarchal world that he comes from. But here she is a badass attorney. Right. And, and nobody questions her like, and just to have that generational leap just within the 20 years that the movie covers is just astounding. Mm-hmm. That just culturally, that that a world can go from from the one thing to the other, but you you totally believe that that Nargis is a different kind of of woman. Well, and you know, to uh, Raj Kapoor's credit as a director, um, I mean, obviously this that's like the first scene, so we don't mm-hmm. you know she, Nargis gives it all to us from the get go, which is totally awesome. Um, but then as, as, as we mentioned, it goes to this flashback where they are kids and she's played by, uh, you know, a different person, um, you know, a young girl of like seven or something like that. Um, but, uh, they totally seem uh, like a consistent person because she's a very forthright kind of person. Even back then, she's like, she approaches the young Raj and says, you know, what are you going to give me for my birthday? And she's like, really, you know, she's, she's a a whirling dervish kind of, you know, that kind of sucks up all the energy in the room. Um, And it's great that, 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 that kind of those elements of her character that are crucial to the um, the adult version uh, are on display um, when she's younger too. Yeah, as is as is Raj Kapoor's character, as you said, mentioned played by his younger brother uh, when he's a young kid. Yeah, too. and I I didn't know that uh, watching the movie that they were the younger brother, but but you can really see that they're related. Like they have the the facial expressions that that Raj has when he's grown up look so much like the young version of him like it's it's really obvious that they're related yeah because you know they're they're clearly the same character yeah very it's very good very consistent um this movie has as we mentioned you know it's uh it's got dancing it's got you know i mean high melodrama it's got romance it's got you know all kinds of things um and then smack dab in the middle of this thing there's this crazy ass dream sequence 
Yeah, and the the music that it has most mostly before is is just kind of songs. It's not like you know big production numbers as you know we we come to think of of Bollywood cinema, and that we'll see more of in Cholet. But uh, but the stream sequence though has has all of that. Oh my god, it is awesome. I mean, and and to to, to what you just said, I love the the other musical sequences, the the more uh, low key ones, you know, that happen. Or, you know, the one on the boat, and there's an early one with the judge and his wife when they're traveling, um, and there's like this kind of chorus, you know, saying "Beware" and stuff like that. That's really cool. But the uh, yeah, and there's one the, where where like Raj, the adult Raj, is is introducing his character and he's singing about how he's a tramp. That you could oh, you could easily song. see like like Maurice Chevalier singing that. Right. Yeah. Um, but the dream sequence goes for fucking broke and it's awesome. Like it's, it's like a three part dream sequence. It starts with this kind of like fog and, um, it's very ethereal and kind of, you know, obviously dreamlike, but, um, and, and it's, and it's just, it just kind of weaves this kind of hypnotic spell around you. Um, and it's so cinematic. And then the second part, the devil shows up, which like you, I'm sorry, you're speaking to me once the devil shows up. Like that was totally freaking awesome. They're like giant Satan. And <laughs> it was, it was amazing. Um, and, and that sequence, I mean, it's, you know, it's what, maybe five minutes or so or whatever, but, um, Gosh, it is just a tour to force. The whole dream sequence is longer than than five minutes, isn't it? Isn't it like ten minutes long? Is it? Uh, maybe. Uh, I mean, it, it seems as like elaborate and and uh, and uh, and detailed as like the same kind of like super big musical sequences that that Vincent Minnelli and Gene Kelly were doing at the same time. Like the you know, it's not yeah, as but... it's not as you know, it's not the American in Paris ballet from the same year. But it's you know it's it's attempting that kind of scale and that and that degree of of storytelling and. But what what I like about this though this sequence is that and and the other musical sequences in this is that they never and I'm not saying that the Gene Kelly stuff overstays its welcome really but like those feel like like a big you know important scene and they and it like they're kind of like uh, like exist separate from the movie and what i like about all the music in awara is that um the songs don't drag on too long you know um mm. they they're integrated really well and you know they're I, I from my perspective they seem to be in and out within like a couple of minutes they didn't go on for this is obviously the longest section but it didn't go on for like you said american in paris it's not like a 20 minute you know um, kind of a showstopper. It doesn't stop the show. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I think I think so I think the dream sequence kind of does, and and that's it's also right around the time that like the intermission would be. So it's like the the end of Act One because after the dream sequence is when he like you know has his big decision to to go straight because there's there's lots of religious imagery in in the sequence which I won't pretend to understand, um, but. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, at, at the end of it, he like has his resolution to get a real job and stop being a tramp, so he can be worthy of of Nargis's love. Uh, I, I think we, I think we all are trying to be worthy of Nargis's love. That yeah. is, there's no doubt about that. <laughs> uh, I think I think partially, uh, it's you know the, it is shorter than like the American Paris Ballet or the Broadway Melody Number for Singing in the Rain or the uh, the Red Shoes Ballet from the Red Shoes. Um, 
it's shorter than that, but it's also uh, less uh, a smaller percentage of the running time of the movie because the movie's sure. two hours and forty minutes long. So even if you have it like a ten minute musical sequence in there it's not going to be as big a deal as a 10 minute sequence in uh, right. a movie that's a you know 100 minutes long sure i understand that I understand. uh so and you know i don't know that it's not a showstopper because i think it is it's it's an act stopper <laughs> i i don't know it just seemed to flow a lot better for me i mean yeah. I, you know i i think we're... and it's also you know specifically uh noted as a dream sequence which right. I guess the American Paris one is too, but it, in American Paris it comes like right at the end of the film, and it's and it right. encapsulates it's the end of the movie. Yeah, 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 like and it and it like replays all of the movie, and after it ends, there's like one minute of the movie left. Right, like everything was building to that moment. Whereas and and, this... and the singing in the rain number is like a whole separate movie within the movie that Gene Kelly is like pitching. Uh, right. so it, it feels, you know, totally extraneous, even though, you know, it, it fits thematically with what singing in the rain is doing. It doesn't really have anything to do with the plot of singing in the rain. And I mean, the red shoes ballet, it might be longer than any of them, but it's also, you know, you know, thematically necessary to, well, I think that's, the I, mean, story. Uh, I think that's integrated better than the, the Gene Kelly stuff into the, the picture itself. But, um, yeah, I mean, you know. Uh, I, I I mean I'm obviously singling out this sequence because it's totally fucking amazing. Um, well, yeah, but I'm also saying that it 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 doesn't de- the rest of the movie it, it doesn't detract from the rest of the movie. No, uh, you know I think the rest of the movie stands you know up to the level of of what's going on here. Um, and yeah, yeah. I think I'm comparing it to to these other sequences as a compliment, and you're not taking it as a compliment. <laughs> I'm not. Argue, I, I, yeah, I, I think we're just arguing semantics here on what what, what this means. But, um, yeah, no. It, the point is, it's it's, it's it's. I love it all. Yeah, everything's it's great. wonderful. You know? uh, Except for fathers. Fathers are the worst. The rest of the movie is is really expressionistic, which I did not expect. Uh, not really knowing anything about about Bollywood, like there's this at times there there were shots out of this that looked like Citizen Kane. Oh yeah, totally. Uh, just there's some really great like low angle just, shots looking up yeah. at the judge and like yeah. these ornate roofs and and the the judge's mansion looks like you know the the interior of it is just like this vast space. Uh, and you know, I don't know. I don't know the relation between between Hollywood cinema and and Bollywood because um, I don't know anything about it. I don't know how much these those movies were playing there. I mean, but they had to be interacting with it in some way, right? Oh yeah, there there had to have been some uh, yeah influences, you know, going through it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, cause I, I thought of Orson Welles too. I, I had the exact same thought when there was the, the, there's that low angle shot of the judge with the big, you know, the ceiling behind him and everything. And I was like, that's straight out of the playbook right there, which is great. I mean, it yeah. was, and you know, it's not like second rate, you know, uh, like the stuff in here is just, is just as strong visually. Um, yeah. And there's, and there, there's so much shadow and, and darkness and, uh, really, uh, really unusual camera angles, like extremely, extremely low angles, or 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 high angles, or 
you know, just shooting stuff at, at odd angles. Right. And, uh, that's something uh, uh, I noticed in Cholet also. It's not it's not uh, expressionist in, in this way because you know it's a color film, but there's a really unusual placement of the camera. In... Cholet gets pretty flashy too, though. Yeah, like, Cholet. I mean, I think we'll talk about that. I mean, there's the. It's great. It works perfectly for that kind of movie, um, but it's a different. It's a different style. But yeah, there's definitely. I mean, it's not. These aren't static kind of. You know, it's it's not like. Um, you know, you know, a lot of like musicals, um, yeah, our, musicals our, whatever, are like static shots, so you can get the, uh, you know, the dance, or you know, you can get the movement of everybody or whatever. Um, you know, even in the musical sequences here, it's not afraid to like cut to close-ups or you know, do interesting things that um, heighten instead of detract from the performances. Yeah, it's much it's much flashier than than other stuff that I've seen, like from. Uh, like Chinese movies in the in the fifties and sixties are much more kind of straight ahead framing, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. uh, kind of uh, traditional uh, studio st- Hollywood studio style continuity cutting and framing. Uh, this is was much more experimental, more along the lines like uh, you remember I Am Cuba. Oh yeah, which uh, which we ran years ago. I mean, it's not it's not that crazy, but it's uh, the similar kind of Mikhail Kolodesov experimental look to the film, mm-hmm. which is not what I expected because, you know, I expect, uh, from, from Bollywood being, being a studio, I expected it to have like a studio style and a studio system and, and this kind of, uh, uh, a more subdued look to the movie. Mm-hmm. And that, for all I know, that is, that is the case for the vast majority of them. And this one just happens to, to reflect a more odd sensibility, but uh, yeah, it was definitely not what I expected. Well, yeah. And especially for 1951, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it is um, progressive. I mean, it's, you know, it's doing things that uh, nobody else is really doing around that time, (laughs) which is really cool. It's definitely fitting in with like the, the Hollywood at the time, the kind of film noir, stylistics and but it's uh and i think japanese cinema is doing a, a, a lot of the same stuff like uh uh kira kurosawa's films from the same time are are similarly experimental well, experimental is uh, not really you know the right word but kind of uh expressionistic i guess yeah but I, but i feel like as you're saying the these expressionistic devices you're not used to seeing them in this type of environment like this not um, not in a musical no exactly i mean yeah. and not that this is you know I, I i don't know if musical is a misnomer when it comes to this because obviously there are musical sequences and stuff but as we mentioned before this has like everything in it you know it's also you know it's a, a lot it's, a, of it's is, a romantic melodrama it's yeah. a it's a, a film noir it's a it's a very much a social problem picture like yeah th- this could have this could have easily been uh i was a fugitive from a chain gang which is another movie that yeah. it reminded me of a, a, a great deal, especially there's, there's an early film where, or an early scene where uh, Raj is, is asking uh, Jaga how he's supposed to survive without being able to get a real job. And he says, steal, which is, is very much like the, the final line from I was a fugitive from a chain gang. Yeah. So, and yeah. And then it's like a, a, a chaplain silent, feature at times and yeah it's got i mean it's got it all so yeah um but yeah it's 
it's it's running on all cylinders um and it, it made me really want to you know seek out some more um raj kapoor stuff um yeah for sure and it's this is this is part of the the problem and and it's kind of a, a daunting thing with 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 bollywood is there's so much and we don't really know where to start and once mm-hmm. and once you start you just know because this is like a, an ironclad rule of cinephilia is that the more you watch, the more you realize that there is to watch. So once you start watching these movies, which we have now, and so now we're cursed, we, <laughs> there are so many other films. Now I want to see other Nargis movies. I want to see other Raj Kapoor movies. And yeah, I mean, I added, you know, after Box after this, and I added... Um, Mother India, which is a Nargis film. I added Shri 420, which is uh, another collaboration between the two. Um, yeah, it, you know, it, like you said, it never stops. <laughs> so, the fun never stops. So with that, let's stop. Yes. And uh, uh, move on to uh, something else. Well, we're going to take a little break, and we're going to listen to, uh, you know, la- so last week we did Bob Dylan. It was the Bob Dylan show that kind of got overrun by Johnny Toe. Johnny Toe snuck in there for a minute, but um, we're going to. I think that Bob Dylan would approve of that. I think he's fine with it. Um, We're going to tie in with uh, Mike Nichols' passing by playing some covers of songs from Simon and Garfunkel um, because we're weird like that. So uh, we're going to do Bob Dylan's cover of The Boxer right here, right now. George Sanders' show. Bring it. I am just a poor boy, my story seldom told. I have squandered my resistance, or a pocket full of mumbles, such I promises. All lies and jest, still a man hears what he wants to hear, and disregards the rest. La la la, la la la, la 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 la. When I left my home and family, I was no more than a boy in the company of strangers in the quiet of the railroad station running scared. Laying low, seeking out the poor quarters where the ragged people go, looking for the places only they would know. Lie, 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 Asking only workmen's wages, I come looking for a job, but I get no offers. Just to come on from the halls on 7th Avenue. I do declare there were times when I was so lonesome, I took some comfort there. And wishing I was gone, going home Where the New York City winters are leading me Leading me, going home In the clearing stands a 
boxer and a fighter by his trade And he carries a reminder of every blow that laid him low And cut him till he cried out in his anger and his shame I am leaving, I am leaving, but the fighter still remains so yeah, I just love that version of the boxer, uh, that Bob, uh, sings it and it's got the background vocals but the background vocals are him overdubbed so it's like bob singing with a chorus of bobs it's hilarious <laughs> uh so uh the the big news today is the uh the new star wars teaser trailer was released <laughs> very early this morning and it's on the internet even though uh there was there were like rumors all week of which theaters were going to be playing the teaser trailer so you could go buy your tickets to see a movie just so you could see the teaser of star wars and then it was on the internet uh so all those people who rushed out to see it in the theater are dumb (laughs) so i i assume you watched it uh yeah you know just a half dozen times sorry (laughs) yeah so so you liked it well it's it's how star- how many stars would you give the Star Wars trailer? I'd give it a three. Like, I mean, <laughs> here's the thing. You know, every time I think I'm out, they pull me back in with this Star Wars stuff. You know what I mean? Like, you know, if the prequels hadn't happened, you know, I would be like, you know, peeing my pants watching this trailer, you know. But, you know, I try to, you know, watch it, you know, skeptically or whatever. Um, and there are things in the trailer that I was like, oh, my gosh. That is stupid. You know, like I'm already mad at the new Star Wars movie and it doesn't even come out for like another 13 months. Um, But then at the same time, once that John Williams score kicks in and I see the Millennium Falcon, uh, I'm like, fuck, this is going to be amazing. So, you know, it's a little bit of both. You know what I mean? Um, What I like about Star Wars is that it brings people together, whether it's, you know, because you love it so much or because you're so angry at it. But like, it's the only thing where with my brothers, I have, you know, um, two brothers and it's, it's the only thing that like we can kind of just drop what we're doing and, and talk about together collectively, you know, at the same time, you know, and so as soon as the trailer was up, I texted them and was like, Star Wars trailer, let's discuss. And then, we, you know, then it was a long discussion of the Star Wars trailer, uh, the 90 seconds of the Star Wars trailer. So um i'll say i'll tell you my favorite thing about the trailer and i'll tell you my least favorite thing about the trailer uh my favorite thing as i mentioned a second ago uh, i really like that shot it's super flashy um but of the the camera following the trajectory of the millennium falcon as it's spiraling through the sky and then the camera has to like right itself because it's upside down um i thought that was really cool looking uh i really hate that triple lightsaber thing with the two little tiny lightsabers on the side like that's like the dumbest thing i've ever seen what do you think sean uh i i don't really have much to say about it i'm i'm surprised that you and your brothers found so much to talk about because it's like an 80 second trailer uh i did watch it first thing this morning and i got up at like 6 45 
and uh, and turn on the computer and I'm like rarely awake. I haven't even drank any of my coffee yet. And they're like, oh, Star Wars trailer. So I click on it. Um, and uh, the, the first thing that happens is a, a stormtrooper pops up. And I, in my, you know, very sleep deprived, very early morning state, uh, I was sure that that was Tracy Morgan. And I was very confused. I had to like go back and check and make sure I wasn't watching like a parody trailer. Um, but no, it's not Tracy Morgan. It's I'm just, Tracy. I'm just racist in the morning. So <laughs> good thing we record this show at night. Dear yeah. God. Um, but other than that, I thought, I thought it looked like Star Wars. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm excited. I no, like, I, mean, I like J.J. Abrams. I, I think he's fine. Uh, he I hasn't know, I, really done anything that I think is great, but he's fine. I, yeah, I, I mean, liked the, uh, I liked the first uh, Star Trek movie. I thought the second one was kind of mediocre, but I thought the, the first one was, was fun. I really, I thought the first one was fun. I, you know, everybody, the backlash on the second one was so huge. I actually think the second one, if you, if you go into it, not expecting a a Star Trek movie, I think it's totally serviceable. I think it's fine. Um, If you are a Star Trek fan, I'm sorry, you're going to hate it because it's not a Star Trek movie. Um, I do hate the third act, like shoehorning in all the Wrath of Khan stuff. I think that's terrible i hated that but you know it's a you know for a summer actiony thing it was fine um i like half of super eight you know what you know um you know i i think in a way the prequels are that they exist is a good thing because they're a template for like what not to do so it's nice to see you know that the the world the star wars universe looks beat up again like it did in the 70s you know there's you know it's not all shiny like it was in the um, prequels um, which I know, you know, you could make the argument that it's, you know, that's narratively. Yeah. I know, but still, it it doesn't it doesn't look right to me. Still, you know, these gleaming palaces and Naboo or whatever. Yeah, of, um, all, of all of the problems with the prequels, that's that's way down on my list. <laughs> anyway, but but I think that they're using, you know, I hope they learned some lessons, and I'm sure they did. Um, you know. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, it's like it's it's hard it's hard to talk talk about Star Wars. It's hard to it's hard to be objective about Star Wars, and it's hard to it's just it's hard to to speculate about something that we don't know anything about. But uh, yeah, I but mean, that's the point of Star Wars. <laughs> I mean, that's it's, what it's you not do, though. Right? I mean, they're they're they are movies, and they're they're good fun movies that that people my age grew up with. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I mean, you know, I, I got really burnt out, you know, on Star Wars, um, you know, a, a few years ago. And like, that's why I mean, that's what I mean by saying, like, you know, I thought I was done. I thought I washed my hands of all this. And then they're like, oh, J.J. Abrams is directing it. I'm like, oh, that, you know, that's not a horrible choice for somebody to take it, you know. And then next thing you know, there's, you know, this trailer and I'm, you know, playing with my, you know, lightsaber in the hallway. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. I mean, it's. It's fun. I like I like Star Wars. It's not <laughs> Go see a Star War. People people take people take it really seriously on both ends and I don't really understand that. But whatever. What do you mean both ends? Like the the people who really really love it take it really seriously and the people who really hate it take it really seriously. Mm. And I don't I don't really understand either point of view. Like I I really like Star Wars. But I'm not going to be like offended if there's a bad Star Wars movie. Oh God! Yeah, you know. 
I don't know if I can talk to you anymore. I saw, you know, okay, so. I don't, I don't find it personally offensive. I mean, it's just a bad movie. There are bad movies all the time. By Attack of the Clones. I was personally, <laughs> by the time Yoda was like, you know, flying around like a whirling dervish, I was, I was, I literally looking at the ceiling at the movie theater, like, what the fuck is going on? I apologize for my swearing this week. I don't know what's going, got into me, but um, I was so angry with episode two. Um, so it's, it's not that bad. It's horrible, but parts, I really parts, I parts really of it are really, like parts of it are really so, horrible. You know, I'm a weirdo. I I think episode three is actually pretty great. Although I haven't seen it since 2005, so all, all, maybe all three of the prequels have some really like, some of like the worst stuff ever, but they also have some cool stuff too. Yeah, there's some great stuff in there. You know, I, I you know, but, but they're 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 just movies. I mean, I'm not personally offended by. You know Jake Lloyd's performance in Phantom Menace. Uh, well, hey, Jake Lloyd compared to Hayden Christensen, we're 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 golden. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, I understand. I understand. I still take it personally. I I got burned. You know, I'm sorry. It hurts. You know, um, but you know, you. Know, I, I I think there's a. I don't know if I want to keep talking about this. You, I think some of the anger directed towards Star Wars is justified. I, I think it's totally annoying that you can't get the original trilogy on all, you know, in its regular format on, you know, DVD. Sure, that's, sure. I'll, I'll agree with that. But you know, I, I, that would apply the same thing to, to, to any other movie that was altered from its original format. You know, it's, it's not on, that's not available on DVD or not in the proper aspect ratio or only available dubbed. Um, and we've talked about lots of those things on right. the show before, but I'm not, you know, I, I don't, yeah, the, uh, the, the George Lucas raped my childhood thing. Oh, I, well, I find yeah, really, okay. really stupid. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> do we even need to acknowledge it? Of course, that's the dumbest thing in the world, yeah. you know? Um, and yeah. similarly, the, 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 the George Lucas ruined, uh, independent Hollywood is also really stupid. Oh yeah. No, I, you know, I think George Lucas, you know, I, I, I don't think he had, he's had an original idea since 1977. Um, but that's okay. You know, many of us, including me, never have an original idea in our entire lives. So, you know, the guy came up with a few things that are, you know, humongous cultural touchstones and made some really good movies, you know? Um, and that's, you know, yeah, I mean, he's he's George Lucas. He's kind of a tool. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, but he does good stuff. You know, I mean, he, you know, I think, you know, outside of you know ruining ch- people's ch- you know childhoods, you know, I think it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, another director who never helmed, as far as I know, well, yeah, he never helmed a sci-fi, uh, you know, epic. Well, he did uh, Wolf. With, uh, he did Jack with Nicholson. Jack Nicholson. That's right. Uh, is Mike Nichols who passed... and also uh, Day of the Dolphin, which is a uh, science fiction thriller. That's true. Doesn't have Ewoks in it. No. Um, but might have died. dolphins. Yes, he did. <laughs> um, the patented Mike giggle after announcing someone has died on the George Sanders show. Uh, take a shot, everybody. It's great. Uh, yeah, Mike Nichols died. Had a very, you know, a singular career, a very long, uh, 
career, uh, you know, uh, you know, good guy. <laughs> what do you say about Mike Nichols, Sean? Uh, he is a guy who directed a lot of movies, many of which I have seen and some I like. There you go. Uh, he has directed a lot of movies, uh, many of which I have not seen. Um, one of them I really don't care for, but do we really need to get into that? I don't know. Um, so which uh, guess is one I really don't like? Uh, the Graduate? No. Uh, Working Girl? Nope. Catch-22? Nope. The Birdcage? <laughs> We're just going to list every movie. Closer? Uh, uh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf is a movie that I also do not like. Oof. Uh, it's a stinker. But I think I think uh, I think the problem with that is in the source material and. Oh, absolutely! Yeah. I don't think it's Nichols, Nichols. fault. Totally. I think he he directs his actors very well. I think it's a very a very pretty movie. Yeah, um, I think it's just a you know histrionic. Uh, ugh, yeah. it's, it's annoying. Um, but yeah, so but even before that, you know, he worked with Elaine May, who you know we've talked about on the show before. Um, mm -hmm. You know your favorite director of uh, Ishtar. Mm. Um, they were a comedy duo, and then they kind of splintered off. And he, he, um, you know, he he made seminal, you know, big important. It's speaking of Star Wars, like cultural milestone movies. You know, uh, are you talking about Postcards from the Edge? <laughs> well, if you want to get Carrie Fisher in there, then yeah. sure. Um, oh, by the way, back to Star Wars for a second. Mm -hmm. um, I did like the choice not to include, uh, you know, not to show, uh, you know, Han and Leia and, you know, Chewie and Luke and all that stuff in the teaser trailer. You know, I, that's what I like about J.J. Abrams is he does know how to, like, you know, parcel out information. I, you know, I, I, I think that's kind of cool. Okay. I, I have no opinion on that. <laughs> uh, Mike Nichols directed a lot of movies, uh, none of which I really love. Like, there's, there's a lot that I, that I like. But there, there's always, you know, something kind of. Eh. Don't you really like Primary Colors? I, I, I watched Primary Colors a while ago, and and it is pretty good. Uh, but it's more interesting for the way it like talks and doesn't talk about Bill Clinton and the way it kind of frames his presidency and and that generation of uh, of politicians. But. I don't know that it's a like a really great movie. Like the the graduate obviously is the one that he's he's most known for. Uh and it's the most kind of culturally impactful of his films. Uh and it is a movie that when I was, you know, first uh first really like getting into watching movies seriously. When you were being seduced by older women. Yeah. Well it's it was <laughs> <laughs> always being seduced by older women that has not stopped but it was it was like one of like the first like serious movies that i watched and really sure. liked um and you know i don't really feel that strongly about it now yeah have you seen it recently or is i it haven't it's it's probably been at least 10 years since i saw it and i i wonder like a, a, a you know apparently as as it's it's a movie that your perspective on it changes as you become closer to mrs robinson's age which i am now so i wonder how the how that would play uh, now that, <laughs> yeah <laughs> well they, terrible terrible vision <laughs> well your your perspective becomes more about her and, sure sure yeah, yeah your, your allegiance or your, yeah, your, your in is a different character in the movie or whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a total gateway movie. Um, 
Yeah. Um, I, but yeah, I, he, you know, he, the guy never, you know, did anything to offend me. <laughs> yeah, uh, carnal knowledge parts of I, parts of carnal knowledge I really liked. Parts of it I I was like I found like really offensive, but I I think that was intentional. Kind of Jack Nicholson's character is just kind of a monster, right? Um, but I'm not sure how how much he's supposed to be. Uh, Postcards from the Edge actually I, I I do really like. It's got a great Meryl Streep performance as uh, as you Carrie don't Fisher. Say. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, what, what do you think of the birdcage? Never seen it. Never seen the birdcage. Never seen the birdcage. Hmm. That was uh, that was the movie that that also came up when when Robin Williams died. Right. I was going to mention that. Yeah. Every, a lot of people were revisiting that. Um, then. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I, I haven't I haven't seen that or the original that it's you know based on the yeah. French film. Yeah. And I I I'm I'm curious how it would play now now twenty years later because it seemed progressive at the time and I don't know that it right. would be now. Right. But yeah, I mean, he seemed like a nice guy. He made some good movies. And what, 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 what does it matter what you say about people? Well, speaking of, what do you say about Busby Berkeley? Uh, Busby Berkeley, who is also dead, would be celebrating his birthday uh, on the day that we uh, post this episode. Yeah, November 29th. That's right. Uh, he uh, also was a guy who made a lot of great movies, of good movies. Not necessarily great movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also crazy influential. Yes, and uh, and you see it, you know, in the 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 dream sequence uh, in in Awara. There's there's like a clear Busby Berkeley influence. Uh, isn't there like a pillar at one point? There is. Yeah, a pillar yeah. like rises out of the mist. Yeah, kind of like and in in like, like the Great Ziegfeld, which uh, which we talked about last year. Well, and going back to you know. The difference between a bloated musical sequence, <laughs> right, um, and something that's tight and uh, you know, yeah, yeah, totally. Busby Berkeley was go for broke musical numbers, pushing the edge of of uh, you know geometry, <laughs> human anatomy. Um, yeah, like he's. You even see it in something like you know, we, you and I just rewatched uh, Hell's a Poppin', yeah, and there is a low rate underwater musical sequence which is awesome i love it because it's like kind of out of sync with what's going on with the music and it's you know it's totally hell's a poppin style mm-hmm. um it's like a bizarro busby berkeley or whatever but um it's pretty great yeah he's he's this uh he's a, a pivotal figure in in the musical because like the the first musicals when when sound came in were like were like literally stagey like you'd point a camera at the stage and you would see the performers on the stage and uh and and what what Berkeley would do was was create you know they still have like the stage show plots like like his musicals in like the early 30s ones are all uh, are all backstage musicals they're they're movies about people who are putting on a performance on on Broadway or something like that and so when we actually see their performance that's when we get the musical numbers and usually they come like right at the end where we'll get like three musical numbers as the climax of the film it'll be like 20 minutes. Um, and and that's what Bus- Busby Berkeley would contribute to the film. And like the movie before that is kind of like lame proto screwball comedy and Dick Powell being obnoxious. Uh, yeah, and that's my problem is you know a lot of those 
you know, like you said, the the movies themselves aren't that good or that great, you know. But then Berkeley, his musical numbers elevate the you know the whole to you know to make it worth watching because you know like something like Forty Second Street, um, not a big fan of except for these really cool like there's that train sequence like the the uh, staged like train car dance number thing mm-hmm. um, that's really awesome. But then the other, the stuff surrounding it is just filler. Well, in my yeah. opinion, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but the what but what what Berkeley does is he takes the the stage space and and doesn't treat it realistically at all. He turns it into into an imaginary space that only a, a movie camera can see. So you get these like inc- incredible overhead shots, which nobody in an audience would ever actually be able to see, where the dancers are performing these like we are arranged in weird geometric shapes and, and kaleidoscopic imagery. Or he takes the camera and and slides it under a row of uh, of uh, legs, or abstracts body parts, uh, legs and arms, out into into just shapes and disconnected from bodies. And all kinds of, of crazy shit that is not realistic at all. So that he's like that bridge from the realistic musical to the cinematic musical. And you're wrong about all of the non-musical stuff in those movies. Because 42nd Street is great, and Gold Diggers of 1933 is great, and Footlight Parade is also great. Well, I haven't seen those other two, but that, I, I mean, it's been a long time, but I just remember like kind of like looking at my watch waiting for the Busby Berkeley moments to come back up. But. Yeah, well, 42nd Street is is the least of them because it doesn't have Ginger Rogers and it doesn't have James Cagney. Well, there you go. Yeah. Okay, I'll give you that. Um, but yeah, you know, it's funny because uh, we were debating whether to do our Cinema Central, um, you know, dream sequence or Cinema Central Buddies, which we decided on Buddies. But, um, you know, the first, one of the first dream sequences that comes to mind is the big Lebowski, mm-hmm. um, which that dream sequence is literally, I mean, it's, it's a Busby Berkeley esque, you know, uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, to a ridiculous length, uh, dream sequence. Um, and, and to see something like that in a Coen brothers movie 50 years later, you know, just goes to show how much of an effect this dude had on, uh, on cinema, yeah. you know? Something as, as as strange as that movie can can throw in a Busby Berkeley dance routine, and it's awesome. And his his best movie, I think, is one that you haven't seen, but it just came out uh, on uh, uh, Masters of Cinema Blu-ray in the UK. That I, I don't think is region free, but uh, uh, it's it's uh, called The Gang's All Here. It stars Carmen Miranda, and it is uh, it is amazing, and you have to see it. I will. Uh, if if you if you like Hell's a Poppin, you'll love the gangs all here. <laughs> uh, speaking of Hell's a Poppin, I watched Oddballs the other day. Uh, I don't know if you're going to get to it before the 1984 episode, but uh, it's uh, it's like the uh, Hell's a Poppin of 80s Canadian sex comedies. <laughs> well, sign me up. I know you. I know you're first in line for that. Uh, well, Speaking of the Cinema Central, uh, we aren't doing dream sequences. We're doing buddies, um, which you'll know why when we start talking about Cholet. But um, obviously there are, you know, screen buddies, you know, since the dawn of cinema. Um, You know, you go back, you talk about Laurel and Hardy, who we talked about on an early episode of this show. Um, There are so so many iconic buddies out there. Um, And, you know, I... Obviously, there there are some that I've talked to death on this show. Bill and Ted, um, Bob and Doug McKenzie, 
Um, but was there one for you that just like, boom, just banged right into your head when, when we talked, when we decided to do buddies, Sean? Is it Air Bud? Uh, yeah. I, I think, <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think when you think of, of buddies and, and buddy movies, you think of, uh, the, the first thing you think of is, is Paul Newman and Robert Redford, mm. uh, in, in Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid. Um, uh, but I actually, I prefer the sting. Me too. As which, I think we've mentioned before, but yeah. yeah. Which is the, uh, the best picture winner from 1973, I believe. Yeah. Uh, and, uh. Yeah, that those they would be my essential buddies because I mean, we we I you know grew up in the eighties the 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 era of the uh, the buddy cop film you know the forty eight hours Lethal Weapon uh, that kind of thing and those movies I haven't revisited really since I was a kid and I suspect that they are not very good so I'm going to go a generation back to my mom's favorite buddies and and pick Newman and Redford. Because I I think they're great together. Yeah, that's a great pick. Um, I it wasn't the first thing that popped in my head, but it's uh, you can't argue with that. Um, my buddies come from uh, a year later, from uh, 1974, um, and uh, from another movie that's over three hours long. Uh, Jacques Rivette's Celine and Julie go boating. Uh-huh. Uh, Celine and Julie are, I think two of the greatest buddies that cinema's ever had. Uh, one of them's a magician, the other's a librarian. Uh, which they, one is which? I don't remember. <laughs> it's been, it's been, a, it's been a while. Um, you know, I saw, I've only actually seen Celine and Julie once. I got it. Um, it's hard to find. Um, Scarecrow mm-hmm. had it, um, on VHS and I saw it. It had to be, God, eight years ago or so. Um, and I watched it. I was living in a little basement apartment. And I watched it on this tiny, like, you know, 13 inch TV or whatever. Um, but it's completely stuck in my head since then. Um, it's just one of those movies that just like, you know, seeps into your soul. Um, I know we've talked about it on the show before, so I don't want to go into great lengths about it, but, um, but speaking specifically of the buddy thing, um, I think the, the testament of, of whether it's, it's a successful buddy, you know, pairing, is if you just like really want to hang out with them uh, as soon as the movie's over, you want to go back and revisit, you know, them and hang, spend more time with these characters. And uh, Celine and Julie are absolutely um, perfect for that. Yeah, I don't know that I'd really want to hang out in their weird Henry James hell, but <laughs> you yeah, know, but just going going to going to the library and like drawing in books with them, I, I would totally do that. Or oh, great! Roller skating through Paris and stuff. Oh. Yeah wonderful yeah. so uh yeah that, well, that's that's a great choice and you have shamed me for my my uh masculine bias and buddies <laughs> <laughs> that's right sean well next we're you know i was gonna do non-carbon based life forms but you know mm. what, what can you do um well speaking of two buddies um we we've got a we got a pair for you here um we're gonna listen to a little clip um from uh 1975's cholet so here it is Let's 
दुश्मन भी गले मिल जाते हैं होली के दिन दिल खिल जाते हैं रंगों में रंग मिल जाते So uh, Jay and Viru are two outlaws, fun-loving guys, you know, perpetually on the run, pulling schemes, what have you, um, playing harmonica while riding on, you know, mo- you know, motorcycles, um, and they get enlisted by this uh, former police officer um, who lives in a small village um, to track down this notorious killer. Um, and and just total tyrant, um, who in kind of a Seven Samurai-esque fashion has kind of been uh, wreaking havoc on this little community for for a long, long time and has uh, done all of these horrible atrocities, um, which we get, you know, we're shown throughout the film. Um, And he enlists these two devil-may-care kind of guys to to track this guy down and bring him alive um, to him. Um, it's the, the film is from 1975, um, which is apparent, uh, from the get go, uh, the film opens with, in a good way, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. The film opens with this musical, um, instrumental, um, while the credits are playing or whatever, showing kind of the, the lay of the land. And we get this song that starts out it's like an acoustic kind of strummed kind of psychedelic folky thing kind of western sounding um thing that kind of 
seamlessly blends into this more, um, you know, what you what I would, you know, traditionally think of as as a Bollywood number. It's got the uh, Indian instrumentation and stuff, and then it segues into this uh, kind of Ennio Morricone kind of spaghetti western sound, all within the same like opening credits song. Um, and that is kind of what this movie is. It's kind of a mishmash of those kind of three disparate elements, um, as well as being a comedy and, and all those other things, kind of like Awara is. Um, this is kind of like a spaghetti western in the 70s um, with these two kind of comedic buffoons. Um, and it's it's a whole lot of fun. I mean, I think Cholet, I think you probably agree, right? Did you have fun with Cholet, Sean? I think it's impossible not to have fun with with <laughs> Cholet. Uh, yeah. It's uh, it is apparently a uh, a pioneer in the masala genre, which is a particular genre of of Bollywood film that mixes in all kinds of disparate elements into one movie. And I suspect it's part of the reason why they're so long. Uh, this this movie is over three and a half hours long. And it takes it takes action, comedy, romance, uh, crime, you know, slapstick, and mixes it all together, musicals, and and into one big thing that kind of encompasses everything. Um, and I don't know how you couldn't have fun with that because, you know, if there if there's something you don't like, you know, ten minutes later the movie is going to be totally totally different. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and so you'll just go from, from one thing to another, to another, and you never know exactly what's going to happen next. But at the same time, this movie, uh, hangs together so well and surprisingly well, I thought. Like, yeah, yeah, I have, I have a few little issues with, um, maybe some of the, like you said, the, uh, maybe the succession of certain thematic moments especially in the second half of the film um but yeah it, it as a it does really seem like a whole piece even though it's kind of all these disparate things kind of coming together yeah so i mean the most obvious influence is is once upon a time in the west and and for a few dollars more and just kind of the spaghetti western like the the location uh, like a dusty town with like rocky mountains around it that um not like the Rocky Mountains, but mountains that are rocky. Uh, right. <laughs> that actually reminded me of like uh, Bud Bedecker landscapes. Uh, yeah. Going way back to episode two of the George Sanders show, we talked about <laughs> Bud Bedecker. Um, uh, but there's also like the Seven Samurai, uh, Three Amigos vibe to it. Uh, more Three Amigos actually than, than Seven Samurai. Yeah, well, the the comedy, you know, yeah, inherent in these characters, um, and also the, you know the villain looks like El Wapo. To me. You know who the villain looks like to me. I'm sorry, it was it, it was it wasn't distracting because it's it, it's a ridiculous character in and of itself. But uh, uh, Danny McBride, like <laughs> like the whole movie, I was like, yeah, I Danny McBride that. is fucked up. This guy's messing with. People. I mean, he's really <laughs> doing some horrible stuff here. You know, um, you know, he's got this kind of like. Um, mullet you know this curly kind of mullet thing going on and sure um yeah uh, anyway yes yeah and it, it's it's weirdly out of time because you know the 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 two heroes fashions are clearly of the 70s and like the the motor vehicles are from our mid 20th century but this village seems like a 19th century village and uh i wonder if 
you know, how, how realistic that was that there are that, you know, in 1975, there were still, you know, places in India that were living like it was the 19th century. And I don't really know. I have no idea. But <laughs> I have no idea. But or it if it's just part of like the fantasy space that that the movie occupies, that it's not related to any kind of actual Indian reality. Right. I mean, it, yeah, to me, it's jarring because it feels like a, uh, a Western with a guy wearing, you know, uh, bell bottoms, you know, right. <laughs> um, you know, and and every time Jay comes in in his like white suit, you know, in uh, it, it's, it's a little jarring because because you're like, wait, what? what? What time period am I in or whatever? But that might just be to my Western eyes. I don't know. Yeah, uh, I, I really love the the opening action sequence. Uh, this oh, is it's great. This is another screen. film that, like, like Awara has uh, a lot of flashbacks, and like the the opening scene of the film uh, takes place uh, in the present, and then we get a flashback, and this will recur throughout the film. We'll see lots of of flashbacks to see how the uh, the Thakur, um, you know, came to be uh, uh, to want his uh, vengeance against the uh, the bandit. Uh, and, and all kinds of other stuff. And there's like little side stories and, uh, anyway, that, that opening sequence on a train, the, the Thakur has, has arrested, uh, uh, Vero and Jai and is, is taking them to, to prison and bandits attack the train and the three of them join forces. And it's just a great action sequence. Like it, it is as good as any action sequence that, that Hollywood, uh, was making at the time you compare it to like uh, James Bond film action sequences and it, it totally holds up um, it's not as good as Hong Kong but but it's pretty cool <laughs> um, no it's great I think it's actually the best uh, action sequence in the whole movie um, yeah because it because it tells us all about each character um, within the context of, of of this really you know fluid action sequence um, I love uh, Viru coming like <laughs> like he kills somebody and then like he waves to you know Jay at the end of the train like what's up dude and then he starts like walking down the train like banging like a beat on like some cans or whatever like like he just thinks I don't know like he has no reason to think that the crisis is over and it's not because some guy like jumps out of the you know the middle of nowhere and starts pummeling him but he's like so happy go lucky while he's doing it um, and then there's this great explosion and stuff. Um, yeah, it really made me t- uh, sit up when that when that sequence came in. Yeah, and their their attitude they're not they're not buffoons. They're just uh, they're just having a good time. Yeah, they're just they're they enjoy their their life of action in the way that that you know action stars from the eighties do. Like they they are like the uh, the the Schwarzenegger and Commando kind of the pop a one liner as you ridiculously kill somebody kind of action hero which is which is different than you know your your traditional action hero it's more kind of the james bond influence the the butch and sundance influence on on the action genre mm-hmm. and I, they're they're very much in that vein uh which uh the hong kong guys were not until right around this time as well uh but yeah, what about what about some of of those other sequences? Because this it's it's a massive movie, and there and there are a lot of characters, and there's like these little minor stories that don't seem to really be going anywhere, but all kind of end up having, you know, kind of a a a, a serious emotional impact when they reach their conclusion. Uh, 
which was really unexpected. Like this movie is so fun and it's so light for so long uh, that when the horrible things happen, it's really shocking. It's even more shocking the 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 violence and the and the deaths that happen. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, I. I'm thinking about like the 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 character of the the imam, the the blind imam who lives in the village, oh, yeah. and his son, and you will will be introduced to the character, and he's just like this minor character in the village, and he has like this conversation with his son, where he wants his son to go away and get a job, and the son doesn't want to go, and this feels totally unrelated to the plot, and then uh, you know later in the movie, like an hour later, the he sends the son off, and he gets kidnapped by bandits, and then we see the village gather with the imam with the the son and then there's this big debate in the village about whether or not to give in to the bandits or stand up for them that this this minor character in this plot did, that didn't seem related at all becomes like the thematic point of the entire movie and that's an example where I think that worked really, really, really well. Um, I, I think that played off beautifully. And I had the same kind of experience where I was like, why are we spending time with this guy? Like, you know, and then and then it pays off and it, and it, and it does really, really well. I think some of those side plots don't. Um, I, I There are two, both, both of the main guys um, have love interests. Mm-hmm. Um, uh Virus is is uh this bubbly yeah bubbly kind of um you know very talkative gregarious um goofy kind yeah. of character played played know? by Hima Malini and she's amazing she's fantastic she's great i love their relationship and and the the time devoted to that um and the the one with jay um and the widow um mm-hmm. uh, i feel like that gets shunted aside for too long and then they try and like pick it up. But I think it's too late and too little too late for me. And that part didn't ever fully come together for me. Unfortunately, it's See, a small I don't, part of the whole. I don't, I don't agree at all because it's, it's, it's underplayed because she, she doesn't speak. She, she's a widow and, uh, you know, as, as a widow in Indian society, she's not allowed to, basically do anything for the rest of her life. No, I understand uh, that. But and, I... and, and so they never talk, but they, but they communicate through these looks and, and through uh, uh, Amita Bachchan playing the, the harmonica. And, and they're like these really kind of romantic, you know, um, scenes with them separated by these distances. And it just kind of goes on like that with like the, the looks and there's no development in the, in the way that like, uh, uh, the Basanti Viru relationship is very comical, and they're always talking and, and fighting and singing together. Um, but then we get her her uh, flashback, and and that scene is heartbreaking because you see her uh, as she was before her her husband was killed, and she's just as bubbly and just as colorful and just as uh, as forthright as Basanti is, and and but now she's not allowed to be that. Uh, and you know, I don't, I don't know that we want to give away the end of the relationship because it's, uh, it, it surprised me. Yeah. Well, um, for me, I get, I get what you're saying. I totally understand how it's played differently and why it's played differently. But as I said at the beginning, um, I, I, I wish that the, 
maybe the flashback that we get to her, you know, happy-go-lucky days had come a little earlier in the movie because what happens is, and it's not necessarily because for their relationship's sake, but um, the last hour of this movie, um, I feel like it's a little disjointed where it starts to kind of um, play the scenes in, in what I think is maybe the wrong order. Um, they show that flashback after I think it, it might be right after the, the kid is killed or something like that, where at this point you really want to kind of take this, the, you want them to get on with the action. You want to get, yeah, get on with like getting the bad guy and getting to the fight and stuff. And they kind of go back to that, which I think short changes her flashback a little bit as well as kind of derails the narrative a little bit. And I wish that they maybe like swapped those two scenes or did something like that because... Um, well, it, it kind of makes sense because, you know, as as the, the scene with the, the dead kid is like the, uh, you know, the, the main characters finally realize how serious their situation is and, and how how awful uh, the, the, the bandit is. And at the same time, they've developed these relationships with the, with the women and first Viru and then Jai decide they want to get married and, and settle down and, and have a home. Uh, and it's the, the contrast of their action, you know, their happy go lucky action life with like the, the real world consequences of, of real criminals like, like, uh, like uh, Gabar that, that make them want to give up their, their, uh, you know, petty criminal lifestyle. Right. Well, that actually brings me to another minor criticism of the movie is that, um, in, in terms of the, 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 the time of their stay in this town, I really thought they should have been a little more proactive in going after this guy because like, yeah, it's, it's a little unclear why they don't just, they really take their time. And it's like, this dude has been doing some terrible things and you guys are, you know, yeah. Well, you like, you assume that they don't know where he is, but it seems like he's just in one spot and that he's been there for a really long time. Right. He's just hanging out. And they've, I mean, they they find also they're, they're like outnumbered like 30 to two. So, you know, that maybe they don't can't just go marching in there, but they don't really seem to have any kind of a plan. Yeah, they really don't. It's more of like, okay, well, while we wait for him to come and kill everybody, let's like flirt with yeah, these let's ladies. Woo, woo the local women. Right. Which, you know, like I said, I mean, I love a lot of that stuff. I just feel like and I and I and I think for a majority of the movie, it like you said at the beginning, it really balances all of these kind of uh subplots and the the tonal changes and stylistic changes really really well um i it just i i kind of lost steam with it near the end where i kind of wish they had kind of kicked the the real narrative into overdrive at that point but these are minor quibbles i mean don't get me wrong but once those those final action sequences and there's like you know three or four big action sequences up to the the end of the film once once those get going they're they're really great oh gangbusters no i think the i i think the last 25 minutes or whatever when they really bring it in and and all and then it has all these like you know little callbacks to stuff that happened before you know with the coin and all that stuff um you know it, they really you know which, by the way, I, I totally saw the coin thing. I coming. saw the coin coming too. I mean, I saw it the the minute he did it the first time. I was like, eh, something's up here." But anyway, um, yeah. but you know what? It doesn't matter. Like something no. with Awara too. Like 
I called every beat in Awara. You know, like I mean, it's you know, well, it's and, like, and you know, Awara doesn't surprise you. It tells you exactly what it's going exactly, to be about from the beginning. But it doesn't matter. You no. know what I mean? Um, that's fine. You know what I mean? So, but um, but no, I I agree. I mean, once they they really go after Gabar and and kind of um, once that's going, it's like okay, here we go. You know, like it just got real in here, you know, and that gunfight is great. The, Oh, the, I mean, Basanti's dance where she's dancing for his life. Yeah. That's holy cow. Amazing. Yeah. That is so, I mean, it's so, uh, terrifying and awesome. And I mean, it's, you know, um, she's yeah, told, like her, I mean, her, her, well, we see, um, you know, she, she's sung throughout the film. Uh, and then there's like this big uh, central production number. It's like the the Festival of Colors uh, sequence that is that is amazing. It comes like almost exactly halfway through the film, I think. Yeah. Um, so we've seen her dance, we've seen her sing, and then you know she the bandits make her dance at the end, and uh, and it's great. Oh, it's amazing! Like it. It's amazing, and uh, then and then it uh, and then it cranks up and becomes like really cool. Well, and yeah, I mean, and then talk about talk about um, integrating that kind of musical unreality to to the actual narrative of something. You know, like sometimes yeah. you know there's this dissonance with musicals sometimes where it's like, well, this doesn't really make sense. Why is this happening in the reality of this movie? But Something like that, where it's like dance for your lover's life is, and and then she has to, and she dances through like broken glass, and it's like crazy town. And it's like it's the the perversion of the joy of the musical sequence to right. like the the bandits' uh, vile ends. Yeah, um, and then it's speaking of vile ends, you know the the ending for Gabar, <laughs> you know, her, this whole movie, he's, you know, the, their only instruction is to keep him alive, you know? And then when we realize exactly what, what purpose that is for, mm-hmm. um, which also has to do with feet. Yeah, <laughs> it's, some, it's uh, some great vengeance there. There's some great vengeance going on. So yeah, the, fu- the finale is fantastic. I just feel like, um, the the kind of prelude to that um, could have been a little tighter or rearranged or something like that. But it, you know, like I said, minor quibbles. I, you know, I had a lot of fun with this um, so, early in the film. There, what I think is interesting too is um, the movie. Uh, it's interesting to me what the movie decides to show and what it doesn't decide to show. And that, uh, and in the beginning of the movie, um, w- before they've um, met up, you know, before the real plot kicks into place, uh, Viru and Jay. Uh, go and meet this kind of like, you know, hustler guy, this kind of, you know, kingpin, local kingpin who they tell um, to have them arrested because there's a bounty for them and they want to split the the reward with him. Um, And I thought it was really interesting for them to, what happens is they tell this guy that they want to do that. And he, and the scene just ends like super abruptly. He like offers them some food or something and then it cuts to them in jail. So it doesn't show any of the like catching them or, or him making the call or any of that stuff. It's like, we don't need that stuff. But then it spends like 20 minutes in this jail with this like diminutive, like Hitler, (laughs) like comic foil of a, of a warden Um, for no real reason besides comedy. 
um, which I think is really, I thought that was really interesting decisions. Yeah, it's kind of, it's, it's kind of a character building thing with the two of them, but it's not, it's not really necessary. Like it shows that they're, you know, unflappable and, and clever. But it has, yeah, but it has no bearing on the rest of the movie. Whatsoever. No, no. Yeah, I mean, it could easily be, be cut out of the film, but it's, it's fine. And, and the, the, the jailer, the, the broad, broad comedy of <laughs> the jailer is, is fine. If, if, uh, if you like that kind of thing, uh, yeah, you know, that, it, that, that part reminded me, you know, that was like a little bit of Hogan's heroes in, in a movie that, that for the rest of the time, I thought the vibe was more Dukes of Hazard, but. <laughs> yeah no totally it's that's a different style of comedy in in that sequence um and yeah i mean mileage may vary on it um i thought you know i thought it was okay i thought it overstayed its welcome a little bit because it, it's kind of a one note joke um yeah but whatever you know um but to me the greatest like comedic moment for the movie is is their joyous buddies song on the motorcycle um <laughs> Which had me laughing out loud as they go. <laughs> they're riding in this motorcycle with a sidecar, singing this song. And uh, there's a part where, you know, um, one of them gets on the shoulders of the other playing a harmonica solo while he's driving the motorcycle. The sidecar gets separated and, you know, chaos ensues. And it was so ridiculous, but so fun fucking fun like it was so fun um like it, that scene could have gone on i mean it goes on for a while it's like 15 minutes or something of this like you know so song uh but it could have gone on ha twice as long you know it was it was just palpable the the joy that was going on <laughs> with those guys yeah i mean it would be like the uh the raindrops keep falling on my head scene in, in butch castle and Sundance kid if it was newman and redford riding the bicycle Right, right. <laughs> Instead of Newman and the woman. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, yeah. And it's 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 adorable, really. And yeah, I, I I don't know how anyone could not like this film. And, and apparently, it's it's like the it's one of the most popular Indian films ever, and most popular Bollywood films. A lot of the comments I saw uh, said it was like the the Bollywood uh, equivalent of The Godfather. Uh, to me, it seems much more like uh, like Star Wars, like this this movie that that people grew up with and as is is so ingrained in the culture that uh, a lot of the the reviews I, I was reading were 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 people saying that that unless you grew up with this movie, you wouldn't really understand you know just how amazing it is and how like dialogue from it is entered everyday conversation and how it's just kind of a, a definitional movie for a whole generation of, mm -hmm. of people. And and that to me is much more Star Wars than it is The Godfather. Oh, totally. Which The Godfather is about like taking a a a genre of film from from one's youth and and elevating it to like prestige. serious, you know, yeah. prestige picture. And this is not that at all. This is is throwing everything that you love about movies in in a blender and and putting it up on screen to have a great time and have horrific violence. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I don't know how you couldn't have fun with this. Um, although I, if I had to, you know, I, like I said, after Awara, I was like kind of high off of it and wanting to like really explore more films uh, of that ilk or, you know, by the same, you know, people. Um, and 
to I, I what I'm what I'm saying is I I prefer the melodrama and the um, the artistry on display. Not that there's not art in Cholet at all. I mean, there, there's tons. It's great. Um, but I, I prefer yep. Awara's um, kind of world um, to to this. But it, it seems like there's more of like a personal sensibility at work with with Raj Kapoor in in Awara. Like the the director here, uh, Ramesh Sippy. Um, I don't really know anything about him. Uh, he he shoots it well, but there's not a whole lot that's really innovative in the way that that I I was kind of shocked by Awara. Uh, in the action scenes, uh, he does, like I was saying earlier, put the camera in really weird places. Like there's like, uh, like at one point in the action scene, there's, I, I swear there's like a camera underneath uh, Amita Bofchan's legs as he's like you know, kicking somebody, which is pretty cool. But uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know that it's as, as, you know, a tour, a, a movie, as <laughs> as, uh, as Awara was. Yeah, I mean, maybe that's that's where the difference lies, and that's the avenue I I tend to to follow down. Um, but yeah, this is but this is, I mean, it's super fun, and I can see myself, you know, like you said with Star Wars or something, I could see myself revisiting this one. Um, well, you know, th- this is also the movie that uh, I guess I made uh, Amita Bachan a, a Bachan a, a star, uh, and he did another a uh, uh, couple of movies around the same time that have been recommended. Uh, uh, my my friend Seema uh, really wanted us to watch uh, Diwar, which was made the same year, uh, which she thinks is better than than Cholet. Um and I also have uh, Zangir saved on the TiVo. It was on TCM a few years ago. Um, but he's apparently like uh, like the the superstar of of Bollywood, one of the the major figures, and you can see that in, in his performance. He's he's really kind of electric on screen. Oh, he's great. He and is, I he's... guess yeah, I guess all of the major characters were were big stars, but but he really he really stands out. I think. Yeah, he I latched onto him um, early early on. Um, he's he's also playing like the cooler of the two. He's like the 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 Clint Eastwood. One. Right. He's the, yeah, he's laid back and um, kind of a, not above it all, but, you know, he's he's kind of watching everything. Whereas, uh, you know, uh, Viru gets really drunk, <laughs> makes an ass of himself. And uh, but they're a great, you know, dynamic between the two of them, too. You know, we were talking about uh, the relationship in Awara, uh, the romantic relationship. Um, but the buddy relationship here is just as um, palpable. I mean, these these guys, you really feel like they're, you know, good friends and they're they're with each other all the way, um, and and that's great. I mean, I love the little scenes here, like where Jay, um, you know, begrudgingly goes to to see the aunt of Basanti um, to to ask, you know, if she'll you know marry Viru and. Uh, I mean, he totally sabotages the entire thing, but it's such an adorable little friend type of thing, you know? Um, it's great. Yeah. They're cute. They're adorable. So, yeah. So anyway, um, we're going to listen to a little more uh, Simon and Gar- Garfunkel covers now. Um, this is Mrs. Robinson as done by, who else? The Lemonheads. Take it away, Evan Dando. Look around you, all you see are sympathetic guys. 
Okay, that's it for uh, this episode of the George Sanders Show. Uh, next time, it's going to be our 50th episode. Um, and we're going to do what we did last year, where um, you know the year is winding down. And uh, we're going to kind of revisit uh, some, some films that surprised us or, or excited us that we saw for the first time uh, in 2014. And so what, we're, what we did last year is, you know, um, each person picks one from the that the other person saw for the first time, and then we talk about them. So what, that's what we're gonna do. Um, Sean, you picked Coffee, which I saw for the first time earlier this year uh, with Pam Greer, the black exploitation film, uh, and I picked Golden Chicken. So uh, that's gonna be our. As you said, it's kind of like a meal. You get coffee and golden chicken. <laughs> yeah, uh, um, golden yeah. golden chicken, a uh, uh, Hong Kong comedy from two thousand two. That's. Uh, like the life story of a prostitute that ends up being like the, the history of Hong Kong for 30 years. Uh, just, uh, just as, I mean, coffee is the same plot. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so that's going to be pretty fun. Um, and then, uh, the final episode of the year will be the episode after that, which will be our 1984 spectacular. Um, I'm really trying to ramp up and watch a lot of those, uh, 84 movies that I haven't seen yet that I think, uh, are important and, and that I should get to. So, um, that's going to be pretty fun too. Um, if you are in, uh, where are you going to be? Santa Monica. Uh, I've mentioned the Arrow Theater before on the show, and I've actually mentioned this movie before, but th- th- I couldn't pass this up. Um, on Saturday, December 6th, uh, there's going to be a triple feature at the Arrow. Um, it's going to be Gremlins, Gremlins 2, The New Batch, and then Tales from the Crypt, Demon Knight, which I haven't seen, but the first two are worth the price of admission alone. Uh, and the reason I'm mentioning it again, I think I mentioned Gremlins before, but uh, in addition to the three films, there will be a discussion um with uh dick miller so mm. uh which is you know how can you pass that up no, an <laughs> evening with dick miller evening with dick miller apparently the day before there's some program there called that guy dick miller so you can also go to that uh if you are in and around santa monica california right on if if you're in seattle uh you can see the best movie ever made this week on uh thursday december 4th playing at the northwest film forum is seven samurai on 16 millimeter, which is I saw that. Yeah, it's, it's like one of the the few formats in which I have not seen Seven Samurai, so that should be cool. Yeah, it's a very interesting decision. Um, 
Yeah, we were kind of uh, speculating about it on Twitter, and, and we're assuming that it was just uh, uh, some somebody local has a 16-millimeter print of it, and it's a lot cheaper to get that than to ship a, a 35 print. So. Yeah, and it's it's better than than showing it on on video. Sure, no, that's great. But um, yeah, I'm I'm curious on the the quality of a 16 millimeter print and and the subtitles. And I've seen I've seen Seven Samurai just about every way you can see it, but not yet 16 millimeter. So yeah, are you gonna go? Uh, probably not, but we'll see. Yeah, there's a lot of movies I want to see. Yeah, me too. Me too. Uh, well, you can find us online at the George Sanders Show dot dot com. We're on Twitter at Geo Sanders Show, um, and you can email us at the George Sanders Show at gmail dot com. And George is going to take us out this week, so we'll see you next time with our discussions of coffee and golden chicken. Just a kiss, a sigh is just a sigh. The fundamental things apply as time goes by. And when two lovers woo, they still say I love you. On that you can rely. No matter what the future brings As time goes by Moonlight and love songs Never out of date Hearts full of passion Jealousy and hate Woman needs man And man must have his mate That no one can deny It's still the same old story A fight for love and glory A case of do or die The world will always welcome I'm going to go watch that Star Wars trailer again. (laughs) Weirdo.